All right, so now we're going to pivot. We have a message tonight still, so bear with us. So tonight, Derek Quimby, if you know him. He's coming up already. Okay, perfect. Come on up. I was going to give you a big speech about you, but uh, he's already here. So I'll just say this. He's my brother. His name is Derek. He typically leads worship. He's an intern with Chi Alpha, and actually now he's officially a pastor. So come on. So Pastor Derek to you all. Pastor Derek now. All right. All right, so, yeah, let's uh, stand up and just give him a clap. You know, make him feel warm and welcome. This is his first time preaching. All right. Okay, so one of my two fears of preaching has already came true. I came in really nervous that this thing wasn't going to work, and then I was going to have to go to the bathroom while I was on stage. So I really hope that second part does not come true. Let's move this back a little bit. All right, before I get started, I just want to say, wow, this worship team is so stinking good. Whew. Whoever the worship leader is, they don't need him. He's not necessary. They're just fine without him. Let's give a round of applause to them. They just did such a good job. Especially this handsome guy in the back. His name is Victor. He is the one who kind of took the reins today. So give him a big hug and a kiss on the cheek if you're a man because he hates it. So do that to make him feel congratulated. All right. So I am just so excited to be able to stand up here and speak with all of you. It is something that I have been looking forward to and waiting for and asking Daniel to let me do for literally three and a half years, which means I was a freshman who wanted to preach. That was probably an issue in my own heart, but we'll pass over that because that's not the issue for today. And something that's really cool is four years ago this time, so just six months before that, my life was in a completely different place. And I'm just so thankful for who God is and for what he's done over the past four years and just in my life in general because he's just such a loving God and loved me right where I was at. And so, since this is my first time communicating with all of you from up here, you probably heard me say weird things to you, like a bro talk, but this is my first time getting to do it on a stage, so it's completely different now. I have to be serious. I can't embarrass Daniel, so that's the big thing from tonight. But since it's my first time, I want to tell you guys my story, so I want to tell you how I got here so you can get a little insight into who I am and to why I do this crazy thing called Chi Alpha, all right? But my parent, so sorry, my story really starts with my parents' story, and they're actually here, so we have some visual representation. These two people who are clearly not college students, we love them, but they're over there, so we have some visual representation. But my story starts with them. So they did not grow up going to church, and I feel awkward, I feel like I should be talking at them, but that's also uncomfortable, so I don't know where to look, but I'll just look at Victor, because he's handsome. Okay. But they did not grow up going to church, and... They didn't have an encounter with God until they were in their 20s. It was actually, I wrote down the date, March 30th, 1997, which was an Easter Sunday. And my parents and our whole family was over at my aunt's house celebrating Easter, all fine and dandy. And then on the drive home, my dad took my other siblings. There's five of us total, in case you didn't know. It's not just Daniel. There's three other ones, so we'll be praying for all of you. So my dad took them and left. And my mom and myself, who was a three-month-old baby at the time, got into a different car. And on the way home, we got into an accident, the car flipped, and I was a three-month-old baby in the back seat, in a car seat that was facing forward with a bunch of heavy objects in the back. So with a flipping car and a three-month baby facing out, that shouldn't turn out well, but we have a really cool God who loved me so much that my car seat broke, flips over, all this hard stuff hits the back of the car seat, and I escape without a scratch. However, my mom wasn't quite as lucky, she's clearly alive, so we're good there, so But she was flung from the car, and she broke her neck. 
And you're probably like, dude, you're killing my vibe. We just had awesome worship, and now you're telling this really sad story. But actually, this is the coolest story and the best thing that's ever happened to my family. Because of this story, my mom got to meet a nurse who poured her life into her and loved her. And her husband is actually a pastor. And through their love and through them just loving on my family, my, they came to know Jesus. And so for me, I haven't known anything else because that was all before I was a year old. So I'm like, Jesus. But my parents had a very different upbringing. But for me, I grew up in the church my whole life. So with that, I grew up in the church, grew up doing the normal Christian kid things. I went to Sunday school. I prayed the sinner's prayer like 300 times and said, Jesus, forgive me. Then the next week, Jesus, forgive me. All that good stuff. I went to youth group, went to a lot of Christian concerts and wore some really weird outfits, but we don't need to talk about that at all. And I knew that there's this guy named Jesus who had died for my sins. So another huge part about my story was I was on the worship team. So like this is called, we call this a worship team, the band. From the time I was really little, I played bass, and I was really bad. I was so bad that our worship leader, who was also my dad, which makes this even more sad, turned off my amp so you couldn't hear me. So I guess I was just up there for visual appeal or something. I don't know what it was. But I always grew up knowing Jesus and in the church. And I didn't really have like a falling away moment or a dark period in my life, which that's awesome and that's really cool to God. But it made me struggle to kind of grasp this idea of grace and Jesus loving you no matter what you do. So I thought kind of as long as I did what the Bible said and I was a good person, that I would be saved. So I thought I wasn't, do, I wasn't partying, doing things with girls. I'm good. But my sin was more of an inward sin. I had a lot of pride issues growing up, a whole lot of pride, and thought I was perfect and everyone around me needed to learn to be more like me, which is really annoying hearing from like a seven-year-old kid. I used to yell at Daniel all the time and say, stop swearing. He's like, dude, you're seven. Just quit yelling at me. I want to swear. If I'm going to swear. I'm in middle school. He doesn't swear anymore, though, so we're good. Okay, so this was all great until I was in my senior year of high school, and I decided it was time for me to get a girlfriend, which was not a good decision, but with that girlfriend, we decided to make decisions that weren't honoring to God. She wasn't a Christian, and just being blunt with you, we were, did not line up with the biblical view of sexuality and staying within the bounds of not being married. So this pedestal and this thing that I had built for myself of being perfect and earning God's love was gone, just like that. So I'm like, okay, now what do we do? And through that, in that time period, I'm also getting ready to head off to Bible college. So I was studying to be a pastor, studying to be a worship leader. So I'm getting ready to move to Minnesota to be a worship leader. Started this newfound sin idea, this thing that I had never dealt with before. And I started reading my Bible in this time. But if I'm just going to be real with you, it wasn't to learn more about Jesus. It was because I was going to Bible college and I didn't want to look like an idiot. So I'm like, I better figure out what this thing's about so I don't look foolish to all my friends. So these three things in my life really came and collided all at once in that summer after my senior year of high school. And it came to a point where I knew something had to give because I was reading the truth and reading about how good God is and how much he loves us and how he wants us to look to him and strive for holiness while I'm running away from him. So luckily for me, by the grace of Jesus, he met me where I was at and said, Derek, I love you so much, even though you're so sinned and so messed up with this girlfriend, but I'm calling you to more. You're called to more than just to have a sinful relationship and called to more than just being a worship leader playing bass on a stage or being a Christian rock star. And so in this time, I decided the relationship probably had to go. It did have to go before it started. So I let that go. I kept reading my Bible and I headed off to Bible college. And then shortly thereafter, Daniel took over as the director here at UNI, same semester actually, 
and he used my wonderful wife, Taylor, up here. If you haven't met her, you've definitely heard her at some point in time if you've been in Chi Alpha. <laughs> it's a joke because she has a loud voice. I love her very much. But so Daniel uses Taylor and has her message me on Facebook and say, hey, yo, you better come to Fall Retreat. And I'm like, dang, this girl's cute. I'm going to Fall Retreat. So I went to Fall Retreat, which is this big conference thing we have where we come together and Jesus just completely wrecks your life. So I come to Fall Retreat, fall in love with Taylor and fall in love with Chi Alpha and Jesus. And then the next weekend, I actually go to another Fall Retreat for Minnesota because they're each by state because I was playing in the band. And Jesus slapped me again and again. And I realized I am called to the public college campus because college students are the coolest people on the, on the face of the planet. And Jesus loves me so stinking much. So, and I like Taylor a lot. So I transferred down here to UNI where she was at. I told Daniel it has nothing to do with Taylor. It's all to do with Chi Alpha, but a little bit had to do with Taylor, I'll be honest. So I transferred down here to UNI. And since then, Jesus and I have just kind of been on a process, a continual journey of me figuring out just how messed up I am, but how loved I am at the same time. And so it's pretty cool. I like Jesus a lot. So I felt this call of full-time ministry, and Jesus just used all this to, to love on me. So the reason I share this story is, A, I want you guys to get to know me. I like to share my story. It's kind of fun to talk about yourself for a couple minutes. It gets weird after like 45. So I've only got like 42 minutes left of talking about myself. I'm kidding. Thank you, Taylor, for laughing on my jokes. That's why you get married. Men, find a woman who will laugh at your stupid jokes. Because if you do that, you're going to be okay. So the reason, though, that I share all this is because we've been talking about worship here at Chi Alpha. And worship in this style of worship, the way we do music here at Chi Alpha, is a huge part of my life. If it wasn't for this, then I don't think I would be here today. Because while I was sinned and running from God, I was still on the worship team. And that's how God kept his connection to me. I only talked to him once a week. It was at church when I played my bass. But God still showed me, Derek, I'm still here. I'm still here. And so tonight, I'm going to talk about worship and talk about why we do it the way we do and why we sing these songs and we dance and we jump. Because if it wasn't for this style of thing, I don't think I would have stayed connected to God. And I'm just so stinking thankful that God gave us music and God gave us worship as a way to connect with him that I want to talk more about it. Plus, I got a mic so I can say what I want now. This is fun. So... Maybe, though, you're in this place, and you've never experienced this style of worship until coming to Chi Alpha. Maybe you grew up, and you read out of a hymnal, and we're in a more traditional setting of church. And you're like, why the heck are these people playing loud rock music and jumping around? These people are crazy. We're a little crazy, but that's okay. So maybe you're in the place, and you're really confused. I hope to answer the question tonight of why we do this, why we do this music thing the way we do. You could also be in this place. And you've never been to church at all. So you didn't read out of the hymnal. You didn't dance around like a crazy person. You just have no idea about this guy named Jesus. And that's perfectly fine. I want to show you why you walked in and heard really cool music. Finally, you could have grown up in a worship setting like I did, like Chi Alpha, where you're used to this thing. You've seen this a lot. You've been around for a while. And maybe you're so used to worshiping like this, that it doesn't really phase you anymore. You come, you raise your hands, and you're like, yes, this is good. On to the next thing, on to the next thing. Yes, B-dubs. So maybe you're in the place and this doesn't really impact you as much anymore. I want to help reignite the passion of worship and why we do this. All right? So I want to look specifically at the scripture, at the word of God, at the Bible, because that's going to tell us why we do this. Everything we do in Chi Alpha comes back to the Bible. So I want to look to the Bible and see what it says about this and see if we're right. And through that, I think we'll discover that worship services like this can really change the world. All right? So if you guys have your Bibles with you, could you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6? If you don't have it with you, everything will be on the screen, so that's perfectly fine. 
And just to give a little background to this story, there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, which was like a box that held the presence of Jesus. We're not going to get too deep into that. If you have questions, ask Reagan Shonk up here. He has a nice neck beard. He'll happily talk about the Old Testament for years with you. Okay? But it's just this box to hold the presence of God. And they took this box and they put it into a household, and a bunch of really cool stuff started happening. He started blessing this household. This place is awesome. We're like, okay, this box is great. The presence of God is great. So then this guy named David, who was actually king at the time, said, I want that box in my house because I want cool things to happen to me. So this is also the same David who beat Goliath. You ever heard of the story of David and Goliath? And King David's like my hero. When I think about worship and think about this, I want to be like King David. This guy loved God so, so stinking much. He screwed up a lot, but he loved Jesus so much that in the New Testament, or loved God so much that they called him a man after God's own heart. David was also the, like the first worship leader. He wrote the book of Psalms, which is a book of worship songs. So he had my job before I did and did it so much better than I did. So I want to look to him and say, okay, how did he worship? And we'll go from there. All right? He loved God so much is the other thing about David. He had just such a love. And in this book of Psalms, this book of his worship songs, he writes, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He goes on and also says that God has filled his heart with greater joy than the grain and new wine abound. That's very poetic, but also shows this guy really loved Jesus. This dude was on fire, and I want to be like that. That's why we're looking at his story, all right? So if you could we'll start in verse 12. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sounds of horn. If you get one thing tonight, one thing at all, if you have to write one thing down, I want you to get this. We are called to worship the Lord with all of our might. It says here in verse 14 that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David saw the blessings of God and just saw how powerful the Lord is. And so what it caused him to do was to strip down, take off his royal garments, put on this weird ephod thing, and worship God with everything he had. He was dancing. You might hear a song like, dance like David, dance. He's like Marcus up here who gets a little jiggy sometimes during worship. So it's fun. He realized that God was so deserving to be loved. And Jesus hadn't even come yet. So he hadn't even seen the really cool part thing that God's going to do. And he still worshiped the Lord like that. So we worship Jesus. The reason we do it is because he's good, because he gave everything for us. So now the question is how? We see, we worship God because how great he is. He's awesome. David shows us that we need to do it with all our might because God is amazing. God is so powerful. God is everything. So we know why. And Daniel covered it a little bit last week, so we can, we'll talk about that now. He talked about you need to look at Jesus and behold Jesus just because of how good Jesus is. And if you behold Jesus, it'll transform your life. It'll transform you into the likeness of God. It'll transform you into the likeness of Jesus. So Daniel covered that a couple weeks ago with why we do it. So tonight, I really want to get on how. And the simple answer is, how do we worship God? We worship him with all our might. So the title of this message is With All of Our Might, because I want our community to really embody the way David worshiped and to worship with all of our might. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. 
Thank you for being a God who deserves to be worshiped, who loves us so much no matter what we do. Thank you for loving me right where I was at as a student growing up. And I just pray for your presence and for your word to come through tonight. In your name, amen. All right. So, we've kind of established. Oh, goodness. So that's a picture of HOF. That's nice. So, I guess we'll go back to that real quick. I've tried to skip it because I decided it was a bad idea, but I guess I can't now. I said I played on worship teams as a child growing up, and that is accurate. I also played in this really famous Christian rock band called HOF. I'm the chubby kid with the blonde mohawk on the side, if you didn't pick up on that. However, Daniel was also there, not smiling. And so was my father. And they were much older than me, so we would hold them accountable. I was like 12. I had an excuse. My dad was like 40, and my brother was at least 16. So I am not to blame for anything. Okay, that's that. I didn't get to skip it like I wanted to. That's okay, though. Okay, back to the real topic. What does it practically look like to worship with all our might? So we've established that we need to worship with all of our might. What does that look like? And the Bible has the answers to these questions, all right? So I just threw up a quick few verses, and we're just going to go through them really quickly. Ephesians 5.19 says we need to sing and make melody. Psalm 104.33 says to sing to the Lord as long as you live. Psalm 66.1 says to shout for joy. Psalm 63.4 says I will lift up my hands. In Psalm 95, 6, let us worship and bow down. So, the Bible clearly gives us some options. There's also way more things of how to worship, way more options. But I wanted to sit down and look at some of the things that we specifically do at Chi Alpha and that you see a lot here at Chi Alpha. All right? So, you'll see a lot of people at Chi Alpha raising their hands. You'll see that when you walked in, you can see many people raising their hands. So, it says it in Scripture, so obviously there's backing to it, but really, why do we do it? Yes, Bible says, and we should do what the Bible says, but what's the deeper meaning? So when we raise our hands, it's us going to God and saying we need you, saying that we love you so much. It's like a little child who raises their hand saying, Daddy, Mommy, pick me up. By us raising our hands, it's saying, God, Dad, pick me up because I need to be closer to you. I need to be with you. I need the comfort of your arms. So that's why we raise our hands. We're saying, God, I need you. Okay, another thing we talk about and you might see is people kneeling on the ground. Why do we do that? Well, we serve a really cool king. I've been talking about God, talking about Jesus, and this Jesus is our king. He's our creator. And so imagine like an earthly king or queen. When you see them, you bow or you curtsy if you're a lady. I can't curtsy very well. I guess I kind of address so it works a little bit. <laughs> so when we see a king or queen, we bow to them. And we have a really good king. So he deserves for us to get on our knees and bow. And also by bowing, we're showing that we're not worthy and that he's better than us. We're showing that he is worthy of our praise, that he is so good. So by we get on our knees, we're saying, God, you are so good. You're, I'm not worthy of you. Thank you for loving me. You also, maybe not as much in this room, but in some places you'll see people dancing. And you're like, why are we dancing? Especially one thing I like to do is get like fast pump-up songs where I'm so excited to dance. We're going to like fist pump. It's fun for me and no one else, but we do it. And the reason that we do that is because we serve a God who deserves joy, who brings joy into our lives. And this joy should cause us to want to dance a little bit. You don't have to, like, do the Macarena or anything. We're not getting that feisty. Well, you can dance a little bit for the Lord because he wants us to have fun. He wants us to have joy. I'm going to give you a little secret. So like I said earlier, I'm the worship director here at Chi Alpha. So I plan the songs, and I get it prepared. And my favorite thing is when I plan a new fast song, 
And I'm like, yes, I'm going to get them this time. They're going to dance. And I get excited. All week I listen to it like 300 times. I learn the cool guitar solo that no one can hear. And I'm up there usually on that side. And I start kicking my leg. Taylor says, like the guy off of Back to the Future, she said I do some weird kick thing. So I start kicking and I look out and you're all staring at me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to dance in the river, yeah. Okay? So we do these things for purpose. We should have joy. We should dance for Jesus. I don't say that to make you feel bad. I say that to show you that there is reason and that I'm not an idiot dancing. I'm a little bit of an idiot, but not that much of an idiot up there dancing. So next time, Victor is going to be dancing, and we're going to party with him. It's going to be fun. <laughs> so something with all these things that we're talking about, the thing that I think is really important is worship is about making a sacrifice. It's about doing something out of your comfort zone. So, like, I don't actually like dancing and kicking. I'm a pretty reserved person. I kind of like to read and, like, play video games. But Jesus wants me to get out of my comfort zone. So I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and dance with him. And so to truly do something with all of your might, you have to be out of your comfort zone. For example, if you've ever lifted weights, when you lift the heaviest weight you can do something with all your might, it does not feel good. And another good example of this is when I was in high school, I played football. I was not very good, but I still played and joined the team. And for what we did in the summers, we'd have to get up and have these things called summer agilities where we'd go and run a lot and lift a lot of weights. And it was terrible. I hate running so much. And I'd go out there, get up at 5 in the morning, and go run because I wanted to show my pride to Prairie Hawk football. Hoorah! So I went and did this, and I ran with all of my might because I wanted to please my coach. And something that I think is interesting about that is me running with all my might is very different than, let's say, Ryan Bettinger over here who shared his testimony, him running with all his might. Because to be honest, I'm kind of slow as dirt. So when I'm running, it's like we're slowly dancing in the river. It doesn't go very fast. But Ryan over here is so quick. When we play flag football, he just zooms past me, and I'm kind of embarrassed, but we go with it. So him running with all of his might and football agilities looks very different than me running with all of my might. However, a good coach would be pleased with either of us if we're going all in. He's not going to expect me to run the same speed as Ryan. He just expects me to do the best that I can do and to go with all my might. So when we worship Jesus, let's say you feel super uncomfortable just sitting in here even. and You don't want to sing. You're in a stare down. God's not calling you, okay, Mr. Very Uncomfortable, and you need to start dancing and jumping around and shouting and like kicking the things and the doors. He's not calling you to do that. God is calling you to dance or to worship with all of your might. So maybe for you, that means singing along. If you feel really uncomfortable singing, take the next logical step and start singing. If you're all right, you've been here a little bit, you're like, I'll sing. I'll sing with them, but I'm not raising my hands. I will not do that. God's calling you to lift up a hand. You don't have to go two right away. You'll get to two later, but maybe get one. Maybe you're okay. I'll raise my hands. I'm cool here. I can jimmy. I got this. God's calling you to take the next step. Maybe you need to do the touchdown, because that's the most sign of worship. I'm just kidding. Maybe God's calling you to get on your knees and to bow before him. Maybe God's calling you to dance. God is just calling you with, to worship with all your might. It's just to take the next step out of your comfort zone. It doesn't matter what you're physically doing. The difference between raising your hands like this, like this, like this, like this, doesn't matter what you're doing. All that matters is that you are uncomfortable and you're doing something and sacrificing something because Jesus is so good that he deserves for you to sacrifice yourself and worship to him. That's why we do it. We don't do it because I think I look cool kicking. I, don't, I know I look like a dork, but I'm like, all right, I'll kick for Jesus. It's okay. 
So all this worship, all these things that we do, is just about going out of your comfort zone as a response to Jesus. So Jesus became real uncomfortable for us. Jesus left perfection in heavens and and eternal with God to come down to earth and be with the filth that is known as humanity and to live a perfect life and come as a baby, as a poor baby, and be super uncomfortable for us. He was not having fun, but he did it because he loves us and he knows it's okay to get a little uncomfy for people sometimes. So I think the least that we can do in response to that is get a little uncomfortable for God. With this sacrificial worship, there's something that is powerful about it. And something that I find very interesting about this kind of worship and the worship we do here on earth is it can't be replicated in heaven. So if you're a Christian here tonight and you die, you're going to go spend eternity with Jesus. And it's going to be a lot easier to worship because he's going to be standing right here. If he's standing at, staring at you, he'll be like, okay, I'll dance a little bit for you. It's a little easier. It's not as much of a sacrifice because you're going to be in heaven with God and everything's going to be awesome. And you're going to be eating the best food and having, living the dream. But when you're here on earth, you have an opportunity to sacrifice for God and to give a little something back to Jesus who is willing to sacrifice everything for you. That opportunity will be gone when you die. You won't be sacrificing in heaven. So this sacrificial worship, if we will take the step and sacrifice something and go out of our comfort zones for Jesus, it's going to be powerful and it's going to shake this place. So we need to be willing to take the step because this is the only opportunity we have to do it. We don't have this opportunity forever. So let's be willing to sacrifice something to worship our Jesus, to worship our Lord. For my own life, like I said a little earlier, I'm actually fairly reserved. Like this does make me feel a little uncomfortable sometimes. And I, but I very vividly remember the first time I stepped out of my comfort zone. It wasn't in a traditional setting though. It was actually at a Toby Mac concert, if you know who that is. He's like a Christian hip-hop guy and it's not worship music whatsoever. But I loved him and like tried to look like him. So I remember I was at his concert, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm about to raise my hand. I was seven. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I went, and I, no joke, I don't know if I felt Jesus that powerful in a long time. And he was like dancing or listening to some hip-hop song, and I'm like, yes, Jesus. But since I took that step of being uncomfortable, I felt the presence of God in a Toby Mac concert. Clearly, the Lord is real in this place. So this is important to me because I just, I've seen what that sacrificial worship and taking that next step, what it can do for your life. And it can be in the weirdest of settings. So if we do continue on in the story of David, so we talked about how he stripped down a little bit, how he danced with all of his might, but there's a second half to the story. And if we continue on in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we will see David's own wife judging him for his worship. So we're going to start in verse 16 where we left off. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Reagan, how do you pronounce his wife's name? Uh-oh. I felt he was going to really, I thought that was going to be a really cool moment where I stare, pointed him, he's going to be a baller. Mikal? All right, I just want to hear Reagan talk. I just like him a lot. So, the Lord came into the city of David. Mikal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, 
cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, his female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. He is throwing shade right there. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So, the first point tonight is, and I promise you're going to go quick. It's not like I'm just getting to the first section. We, we're almost there. But the first point tonight is in order to worship with all of our might, we must worship no matter what others think. His wife is judging him for dishonoring himself to honor Jesus. So his own wife is judging him. If he can work past what his own wife thinks, I think we can work past what people around us think. He was the king. He took off his kingly attire and did not care. He was really, would have been really embarrassed, took off all his kingliness and said, I'm going to dance before Jesus no matter what the people around me think, even my own wife. So you may come into this place and you might feel uncomfortable and feel a little strange. And you look around and you're like, are these people judging me for my raising my hands, for dancing? Are they going to think I'm a little crazy? We are a little crazy. But King David was crazy, so I'll be crazy. Because we serve a God who deserves nothing less, who deserves for us to go be uncomfortable for him. No matter what the people in this community, no matter what the people of you and I, no matter what the people sitting next to you think, Jesus is good enough to deserve being embarrassed. So I'm going to go back to that HOF days. I very vividly remember a, a moment in a concert we had. Concert. If you can throw up the next picture of me looking ridiculous... That's it. Okay. So we were on a stage kind of like this one where there's two levels. And I was like on one end and our guitar player, the only one who wasn't in our family, his name is Jeremy, is on the other end. And I went up to Jeremy before the concert and I said, all right, Jeremy, we're about to make some magic happen. Granted, remember, I was like eight and he was like 35. But I said, all right, Jeremy, when the song gets powerful, when we break and it's time for Jesus, we're jumping down from one section of the stage to the next section. We're going to jump, and that thunderbolt is going to make the people roar. I'll be honest. I wasn't really doing it to worship Jesus, but I was kind of doing it because I thought it looked cool. But that's besides the point. We're going to go with worshiping. So I look to Jeremy. We're getting ready for the point, and I jump down and slam my bass, playing a note that, if you remember, went unheard because I was turned off. And I look over to the side, and I see Jeremy happily playing his guitar on the first part. I'm like, come on, bro. We were jumping together. And he just starts laughing. I'm like, all right, thanks, Jeremy. We're a real good band. So I was willing to look like an idiot to Jeremy, because he looked at me like I was such an idiot, to worship Jesus. And I used this kind of funny story to tell us that it's okay to look over, and someone be looking at you like, dang, they're nuts, as long as we're worshiping the Lord. God is calling you to be a little embarrassed and to stop worrying about what others think of you and to worship with all of your might. So maybe you're sitting in this place and during worship, you looked over to your left or your right and you saw a cute girl or guy and you're like, 
Mm-mm, I'm not about to worship. Dang, she's cute. I'm not going to embarrass myself in front of them. There's a couple issues with that. Namely being, if this cute girl is the one you're supposed to be marrying or cute guy, then they'll be dancing with you. So it'll be a party. You won't feel uncomfortable at all. We'll all be embarrassed together. It'll be fun. But we can't care what the people think. There's no excuse to us being so frightful of being embarrassed. So if you struggle to engage in worship by raising your hands, kneeling, dancing, etc., God is calling you to escape that comfort zone and embarrass yourself a little bit. Okay, the second problem that we face when we try to worship with all of our might is that we can be swayed by our circumstances. If you come into a worship service having a bad day, failing a test, fighting with your boyfriend, it can be hard to worship with all our might. So the second point today is that in order to worship with all of our might, we must worship under persecution and no matter the circumstances. So I'm going to tell a quick story from the book of Acts chapter 16. There's this guy named the Apostle Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he's with his friend Silas. And they come in, and they're casting out demons and performing miracles, and they get thrown in jail because of it. So in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, I'll read it pretty quickly. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all his household, and they go up and get baptized. So Paul and Silas are thrown into prison for doing the good work of Jesus, the good work of the Lord, and their response is to worship and to praise and to sing hymns. I guarantee they were not having the best day of their lives. They didn't show up, yes, I love being thrown into the prison again. This is awesome. No, they're like, dang it, not again. And they're in prison, but they still worship. And they still praise, even though they're having a bad day. Because they knew that if they worshiped and if they sang to God, powerful things can happen. The same is true in this place. If we will abandon our bad circumstances and abandon having a bad day at the door when we walk in and say, I'm going to worship Jesus. I don't care what's about to happen. I don't care what happened before, what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to worship Jesus right now. If we do that, power will overcome this place. If we want to see the 12,000 students of you and I come to know Jesus, then we can't be swayed by our circumstances. We need to come in here and worship with all of our might, no matter what's going on, no matter what anyone else thinks. Because if there's let's just say hundreds of students in this place worshiping, that's about to be powerful. And if those hundreds of students keep worshiping with all their might and keep doing it, those hundreds are going to turn into thousands. Those thousands are going to turn into 12,000. Those 12,000 are going to change the entire world and turn the world upside down because we're not scared to worship with all of our might. And we're not going to come to this place and say, I'm embarrassed. I have had a bad day, so I'm not going to raise my hands. My God's not good enough for me to be embarrassed and have a bad day and worship him. But if we get past that, I promise you this place is going to be changed. I want to see these walls start shaking because the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is rushing in like a mighty rushing wind, and that's how we change this campus. If you've been around Kyle for a while, you know that we want to see revival, which just means we want to see a lot of people come to know Jesus. And in order for that to happen, we need to worship with all our might. So if you've come into Kyle and you've had a terrible day, leave it there. Come in here, sing loud, dance a little bit for Jesus, and then when you leave, you can pick it back up. But the beauty of it is, if you come into this place 
and you worship even though you're having a bad day, I bet when you leave, it's a little bit better. And it's going to help you get over the bad circumstances. Finally, in order to worship with all of our might, we must do it in community. The best worship that brings power is when we worship with other people. So if you're in your own dorm room by yourself worshiping, that's awesome. That's incredible. We encourage that. But there's something entirely different when you come into this place and we worship together. First of all, it's not going to be as awkward. It's kind of awkward dancing in your room. You're like, I'm going to dance until someone walks in. Yeah. But instead, if we're in this place and we're all together looking like fools, it's going to be a little bit more of a party. We're going to have some more fun. And the worship is about to be more powerful. We want to see the sound of heaven come down to earth. We need to be together. We can't make it on our own. We've got to be together worshiping, and that's how we please God, and we say, give the most beautiful noise to heaven because we're doing it together. If we wanted to see this campus come to know Jesus, we can't go by ourselves and be a lone warrior, a lone ranger out there. I'm going to worship on my own and change everyone. No, we come together, and we say, with my friends, with my community, with Chi Alpha, big things about to happen. So we need to worship together. So if you've been avoiding community in this place and you haven't been coming into this place and think you can do it on your own, that is a lie from the devil. You cannot do it on your own. We need each other. I can't do it on my own. Daniel can't do it on his own. We need each other. So when you miss a worship service or when you're by yourself, not only are you robbing yourself of an opportunity to have an encounter with God, you're making our worship service just a little bit less powerful. We need each other. If we want to see the place shake, we need everyone in this room plus hundreds. All right? Let's do this thing together. Come on. I like it. Just think what would happen if we could get all of us together worshiping. I'd get pumped up. We'd all be dancing, shimmying. It'd be fun. I don't like keep saying shimmying. I don't want you to do this during worship. Like, if you want to, I guess you can. But I'll stop saying that. Last thing on that is if you come in, and you're feeling persecution, and the circumstances aren't great, and you're having a bad day, and you come in and are with your community, it's going to help you get over those circumstances even more, because you're going to have your friends around you praying for you and worshiping with you, and the power you're going to feel from that powerful worship service is going to be enough to get over your bad day. So if you're in this place, and you've been struggling, whether that be with a sin issue, whether that's been you've been avoiding community, you're like, I'm not coming there yet, I need 65 hours to do my homework this week, so I don't have an hour to give to Chi Alpha. Or whichever worship service. It doesn't have to be Chi Alpha. There's a lot of them. Go to one of them. I don't care which one. I prefer here, but the other ones are great too. Maybe you come in and you're not sure if you fit in with this style of worship. You're not sure if you fit in with this culture. And you're just struggling. God is calling you to come here and worship him with everything that you have. Because if you worship him with everything you have, it will change you. It will change his group. And it will change his campus. And our king deserves it. Not only is it going to be really powerful and really cool, we serve a king that deserves it if nothing came. Even if we were worshiping here and nothing else happened, if we just got to worship him, be with him, it would be worth it. So maybe you're in this place and you've kind of been going through the motions with worship. You've been coming in, so you have been coming. You're not avoiding it, but you come and you just kind of sing along and you throw a hand up because you feel socially awkward, put it back down, back up to the next song, and you just kind of been going through the motions. God is calling you to change that. God is calling you to start thinking about our worship and thinking about what we're saying and thinking about what you're doing. And if you struggle to do that, if you get really distracted during worship, which is something I get really distracted with because I love music and it distracts my brain, just start thinking about how good God is. Think about, okay, I used to be really awful. Now I'm a little less awful because I have Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I do when I get distracted. I start saying, Jesus, thank you for taking me from my filth and making me rags to riches. You need to do something a little different to push yourself to worship him. 
So whatever you're usually doing, just change it up. Get a little uncomfortable for him. I think we get the idea that we need to worship with all our might, but I just want to shake us all because we have to get uncomfortable for the king. Focus just on how good God is. So finally, you could be in this place and you have no clue why you're even here or why we worship or what any of this stuff is. And I'm just here to tell you the whole purpose behind all of this is that we serve a king who loves us so, so stinking much and he deserves nothing less than for us to give our everything to him. He came and paid the penalty for our sins. He came and died on a cross and looked at us and said, while you were still in sin, I die for you. No matter what you've done, where you're coming from, I love you. And that's really cool. That's why we do this. So if you're in this place and you've never heard of this guy named Jesus, he loves you a lot, and he wants to worship with you, and he wants to be your king. He wants to be your everything. We are called to make a sacrifice with our worship because he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He died for us. That's why we do it. We sacrifice because he sacrificed. So even though we're far more sinful and flawed than we could ever believe, we're so much more loved and accepted than we could ever dream. And this truth This truth of who God is is what causes us to worship. We need to leave our comfort zones and seek the power of God through worship if we want to see this campus come to know Jesus. We also need to take this message of how good God is and spread it and give it to the people around us and love the people around us. So no matter what lifestyle the people outside of this place are doing, no matter where they're at, we just need to go and love them through worship. As we worship God with all of our might, He will break our hearts for those around us, and he'll make us want him even more. The message that I needed to hear as a teenager, please get this. The message I needed to hear was that God loves us so much, and I'm not worthy, but he makes me worthy because he's worthy. I can't earn it. You can't earn it in this place. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. So worshiping more is not going to make him love you more. It's just going to make you more connected to him. The other thing I needed to hear was that we don't worship just because it makes us look cool. I've struggled with that a lot. We just do it because it's what other people are doing. We just do it because it's looks you're on a stage you look like a rock star that's not why we do it either we do it because we serve a really cool king the true beauty of the gospel or the good news of the jesus is that we haven't and cannot possibly earn his love but he gave it to us anyways and i think that's the most beautiful love story in all of history the only way we can overcome sin addiction and pride and all these things and all the chains of life is by giving our all to him all right so if you guys could all stand please So I've been talking about this guy named Jesus and how he loves you so stinking much. And because of that love, we're called to worship him. If you're in this place tonight and you haven't been given your all to Jesus, or maybe you've never given yourself to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity tonight to do that. So we could all bow our heads, close our eyes. No one's going to look around. I'm going to ask you on the count of three a serious question. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your king? Is he your king that you bow down to? And if he's not, there's no time to wait. Like I said, we don't have forever. We've got this moment right now. So if you're in this place and you're not, Jesus is not your king, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three, all right? One, two, three. Raise your hand if Jesus hasn't been your king. If you need to give your life over to Jesus, see that hand. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray over that real quick. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to be loved by you and to be your sons and daughters. Thank you for washing me and washing everyone in this place white as snow. I just ask for forgiveness of our sins and ask that you come into our lives 
and make yourself the king and the owner of this temple, God, and of our lives. We love you so much. Amen. All right. Second thing is going to be a little different. I want you to all, yes, open your eyes. Good. We all did that already. Open your eyes. Look up. Maybe you're in this place, and you know you haven't been worshiping with all your might. And you know Jesus is pulling on you and saying, you need to give me a little bit more. I deserve more. And if you're in this place, and you want to worship with all your might, I want you to raise both your hands, because we're going to be practical. I want you to raise both your hands right now. And we're going to worship him together. We're going to do this together. We're going to practice together. And worship him with all your might. And we're going to go ahead and sing a song. Worship with everything you have. Worship with all your might right now. This is the best opportunity to answer this question of whether or not you've been worshiping with all your might by doing it.